This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Uh, we had some breaking hockey news earlier in the show. The New York Islanders have fired head coach Lane Lambert and replaced him with all-time great Patrick Waugh, who is a pretty accomplished NHL head coach in his brief three-year tenure about a decade ago with the Colorado Avalanche. Waugh, the uh, former goalie for Montreal and Colorado, one of the greatest goalies in the history of the sport, some would say the greatest, 130, 92, and 24 record as the head coach in Colorado from 2013 through 2016. Lula Morello making the change for the Islanders after they lost their fourth straight game last night. They're 1-6 in their last seven. They're 2-8 and eight in their last ten. So Lane Lambert out, Patrick Waugh in, just past the midway point of the season for the New York Islanders. Also want to remind you, ESPN New York presents an evening with Garrett Wilson, an intimate event in the Big Apple with the Jets' star wide receiver. For your chance to score passes to this exclusive event, including food and beverage, go to ESPNNewYork.com or find the contest page on the ESPN New York app and submit your entry. An evening with Garrett Wilson is brought to you by Corona and Sansone Auto Mall. 1-800-919-3776. Pat O'Keefe with you up until Nick's pregame. Um, they're at halftime in Baltimore, frigid Baltimore, frigid and windy, watching Ryan Clark and Scott Van Pelt on the halftime show. They're doing it from the field inside M&T Bank Stadium, and uh, it's cold there. So is that a factor in this game? Perhaps. But more importantly, the Ravens and the Texans are tied at 10. So Houston, a week after shocking in some people's eyes, Cleveland with their blowout victory in the wild card round are going toe-to-toe so far with the heavily favored and top-seeded Baltimore Ravens aided by a uh, punt return for a touchdown in the second quarter to help in that 10-10 halftime score. First of two games today, you have Green Bay at San Francisco tonight. You know, as I look at this game, San Francisco's had a lot of near misses lately. You know, they're good just about every year. This John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan partnership. And think about the quarterbacks, you know, that they've gone through. And also think about what the state of that franchise was when they took it over. You know, Jim Harbaugh was there for five years and then wore out his welcome, as he so often does. And then the franchise just completely cratered. They had Jim Tom Sula as their head coach. They had Chip Kelly as their head coach. And they literally sunk to the depths of the NFL and they brought in Lynch and they brought in Shanahan and they slowly but surely built it up. They pulled off the trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, They traded way up and a lot of assets to draft Trey Lance and that never materialized. Uh, Garoppolo brought them to a Super Bowl. He brought them to another NFC championship game, which they lost to the LA Rams They've been knocking at the door for years, and they've been doing it despite severely whiffing on the third overall pick in the draft three years ago. I mean, Trey Lance was a wasted draft pick, and not only did they waste the draft pick, but they wasted the assets that they traded to move up to make that pick. And despite that, they've got the best skill position players. They found a gem at the end of the draft last year in Brock Purdy, who fits in so well with those skill position players and that great offensive line anchored by Trent Williams. But you also have to ask yourself, and this is part of their roster construction, the 49ers have done such a great job putting 
skill um, on the outside and on the offensive line that a lot of quarterbacks could come in and succeed in that situation, but not all of them. And then you have to also add in the brilliant offensive mind of Kyle Shanahan. Good defense as well, but they are. I mean, if they're healthy, the 49ers, they're the best team. They're the best team in the NFC. They're the best team in the NFL this year. It's hard to make a case for Green Bay going into Santa Clara tonight and coming away with a win against this 49ers team. I just don't I don't see that happening tonight. And it's funny, through all the years, all the San Francisco Green Bay playoff games, more often than not, Green Bay is in the favored position. I mean, there were a couple of years ago, they they had to go out, I think it was this Saturday night game in the snow, in the second round. It was the year that the Rams won the Super Bowl and, and San Fran went into Lambeau on a Saturday night. And it, it was a great scene, beautiful snowfall that game. And they went in and they knocked off Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Packers wanted no part of those weather conditions that night. So there's been a lot of San Francisco-Green Bay playoff matchups, and more often than not, San Francisco gets the upper hand. I just think they're too good in this matchup. Green Bay is on the right track. I mean, it's amazing how it seems like they've gone from Favre to Rodgers to Love. You know, Favre is an all-time great, and Rodgers is an all-time great. It's a little too early to say that Jordan Love's going to be an all-time great, but if you're Green Bay and you're looking at your quarterback situation next year and for the next five years – there are very few teams in the NFL and definitely very few teams in the NFC who have to feel better about their quarterback situation over the next five years than the Green Bay Packers do. But San Fran's just been knocking on the door. You, you just get the feeling that this is their time. You know, they got there in 2019 to the Super Bowl. They had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. Garoppolo missed a pass to, I think it was George Kittle that could have put the game out of reach, put the game on ice. He didn't connect, and then they gave Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs life, and they came back and they won that game. It was a devastating loss for San Francisco because they had the Super Bowl championship, the Lombardi Trophy, within their grasp within the final 15 minutes of that game. And then they get back to the NFC Championship game in 2021. They lose to a Rams team, and again, that was a tight game where they led in the fourth quarter. You know, last year they're back in the NFC Championship game again, and I swear to God, I think they would have beaten the Eagles. But Brock Purdy injures his elbow at the beginning of the game, and then they had to bring in Josh Johnson, who suffered a concussion, and they had to play the entire game without a quarterback. But I think if Purdy stays in that game, I think the way that the Niners were playing, they were just coming off a dominating performance against the Dallas Cowboys. I think the Niners were primed to go into Philadelphia that afternoon last year and beat the Eagles. But they've been knocking on the door and they've had a lot of near misses. And you get the feeling for San Francisco that this is their year unless something unforeseen trips them up. And for them, the unforeseen is usually an injury because it's a franchise, this group of 49ers, they have not had a lot of injury luck. You know, Christian McCaffrey is beat up a lot. So is Debo Samuel. Trent Williams was injured this season. You know, George Kittle has taken a lot of hits throughout his career. And even last year, when they get to the championship game, it was Brock Purdy getting knocked out very early and missing his shot on that stage. So that's tonight. And then you have the two intriguing games tomorrow. Tampa Bay at Detroit. It's obvious to say that Kansas City-Buffalo 
is the biggest toss-up of the weekend because it is. Um, the, the shared history between these two teams in recent years, in the postseason, it always goes Kansas City's way. In the regular season, Buffalo has knocked them off a couple of times, including this year, which is why this game is in Buffalo and not in Kansas City. This is tonight, or excuse me, tomorrow night will be Patrick Mahomes's, and that's amazing to think about. It'll be Patrick Mahomes' first ever NFL playoff game on the road. You know, it's a testament to what they've done because they're not in a, they're not in a division. You know, they're not in the AFC South or the NFC South. They're not, or what the Patriots used to play in in the AFC East. The Patriots in the AFC East started every year six and zero or five and one. The Dolphins would beat them usually every year. They'd knock them off once, but the Patriots they'd always go two and zero against the Jets, and they'd always go two and zero against the Bills, and usually they'd go one and one against the Dolphins. So every single year. The Patriots start the season five and one. All they needed to do was go twelve and four to get a first round bye into the divisional round. So if you start in five and one, you just need to go seven and three from there. That's not what the Chiefs have faced. The Chargers, even though they've shot themselves in the foot time and time again, have been a formidable opponent in that division. Until recently. And you also have the um Denver Broncos, the the Raiders have been kind of a mess, but the Broncos have at least been competitive from time to time. And yet here they are, the Chiefs, putting themselves in position to host playoff games and get home field advantage every single year. And Mahomes was asked about that this week, if he's nervous about his first road playoff game. Kind of just is what it is. Obviously, I've been lucky enough to play a lot of games at home at Arrowhead Stadium. It kind of just everything's felt that way. But now we get a great opportunity to go on the road, play in a hostile environment. One that I haven't been able to play with fans in the stands. I mean, even though I know it's going to be hostile and there's going to there, there are going to be people talking trash and everything like that, I'm excited for it because it's one of the best environments in football. And you want to do that when you grow up watching these games is play in the best environments and see what it's like. You know, Mahomes is entering that, that point in his career legacy-wise where – very, very few quarterbacks have gone. And I know he's got he's got a lot of career left, but he's already got two Super Bowl championships. He's already played in the Super Bowl three times. And what really separates, you know, the greatest of the great, and he has the potential to be the greatest of the great. What really separates those types of players from just the great players are figuring out how to win in all sorts of different ways. And Tom Brady did that. I mean, Tom Brady is the best example of that in the NFL. You know, Brady won, well, he won seven Super Bowls. He won the first three with the Patriots in a very uh, short amount of time, in a four-year span, very early in his career. And those teams were built largely on defense, special teams, really strong game management, and when needed— Tom Brady always seemed to come up with the big play in those playoff games and Super Bowls in the fourth quarter to keep New England on top. And then they went through a transition. They transitioned to the the Randy Moss, Wes Welker team that, of course, was undefeated at 18-0, entering the Super Bowl against the Giants, and we know how that turned out. A brilliant you know, game plan by the Giants defensive coordinator, Steve Spagnolo, who there's another comparison to the Kansas City Chiefs. He's their defensive coordinator. That knocked them off. But then he kind of had to reinvent himself late in his career. And, you know, he just learned how to take what he had at his disposal, Brady did, and win in all different types of situations. You know, his last three Super Bowl wins, the one against the um, 
The one against the Seahawks was a shootout. Of course, they were aided by the bonehead coaching and execution by Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson in the final seconds of that game, throwing an interception on the one-yard line. But again, it was Brady just putting up huge numbers in that game that gave the Patriots a chance. And then, you know, it all came together for him in the 28-3 comeback against the Atlanta Falcons when they won that game in overtime. You know, for that last quarter and a half into overtime, Brady was as brilliant as a quarterback has ever been on the football field in a big game. And then their last Super Bowl that they won in New England against the Rams, it was more the defense and just understanding that the opponent that they were facing that day in the Rams and in Jared Goff really wasn't going to give them a hard time. And, you know, Brady didn't have a ton of weapons. And when he had to make a huge play late in that game, he hit his old reliable target, Rob Gronkowski, uh, and they win that game 13-3. to And then for Brady, it was a very similar situation, the Super Bowl that he won in Tampa. This is my way of saying not to go down memory lane in Tom Brady's career, but I think Patrick Mahomes is really starting to enter that phase. You know, his first Super Bowl that he won after the 2019 season when they came back from 10 points down in the fourth quarter to beat the 49ers, Mahomes had to turn into Superman the last 10 minutes of that game. And fortunately for him and the Chiefs, he did. And their... So much of their success, that's why tomorrow night will be so interesting, so much of their success was predicated on the fact that they always played their playoff games at home. Well, why did they always play their playoff games at home? Because they were a brilliant regular season team. They were a brilliant regular season team because they were the most dynamic offense in the NFL. They had the best quarterback, they had the best weapons, and they had the best offensive mind as the head coach. But now the Chiefs are transitioning into a new phase. They don't have the best offensive weapons. They still have the best quarterback, and they still have the best offensive mind or one of the best offensive minds as a head coach. But now Mahomes needs to, and I think he's at this point, he and Kelsey also, they're at the point where they are able to do just enough to win these games, which is why I give them such a huge advantage in this game tomorrow against Buffalo. Because Josh Allen, I think, is going to go out there and he's going to play this game like it's 2019 or 2020 or 2021 or any other big game in his career. He's going to go out there and he's going to let her rip. And he's going to make some big plays and he's going to make some mistakes. And if those mistakes are at the wrong time, they could cost the Bills. And Mahomes and Andy Reid will be there to take advantage of those mistakes and do just enough to win. And that's why I like the Chiefs in this game. It's the experience. It's the it's the maturity. Mahomes is going to go into that stadium tomorrow knowing that Josh Allen has never beaten him in a really big spot. And not many have. Who has? Who's beaten him in a really big spot? Tom Brady. That's it. That's it. You know, and, and Brady beat him in the Super Bowl. And that's because... Kansas City's line fell apart, and Mahomes Mahomes played brilliantly in that Super Bowl. You know, people say that he didn't play well because the stats weren't there. If you remember that game and you watched that game, Mahomes played brilliantly in that Super Bowl. He was running for his life the entire game. But the defensive pressure from the Buccaneers was just too much for that offensive line to withstand. And who beat him prior to that? All right, well, Burrow did. That was a weird game in the AFC Championship game when the Bengals went there. And then and we're starting to find out that when healthy, Joe Burrow can be a pretty special guy. And then the other one was Tom Brady earlier in his career when if D4 doesn't line up offsides, Brady doesn't beat him that night. And it's the Chiefs getting to the Super Bowl. 
So very few people can be Patrick Mahomes or have. So you've got to, you can't just say, oh, Josh Allen's got the physical tools, they're home, it's their time. None of those, those rules or those cliches, they don't work when you're talking about the all-time greats. This is what separates the all-time greats. Mahomes is an all-time great already, and Andy Reid is an all-time great. And that's where the huge advantage lies for the Chiefs in this game tomorrow night. All right, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll open the phones back up. 1-800-919-3776. Here till the top of the hour when Knicks basketball comes your way. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. This this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Beyond the Big Game is now open at the Paley Museum in Midtown. This blockbuster Super Bowl exhibit features everything from the Vince Lombardi Trophy, all 57 rings from each championship team, helmets, jerseys, and more from Super Bowl legends and a spectacular showcase of memorable Super Bowl commercials. The exhibit is open through March 3rd. And for more information, visit paleycenter.org. 1-800-919-3776. So the Baltimore Ravens take the ball, march downfield, and take a 17-10 to 10 lead over the Houston Texans early in the third quarter. It's uh, it's getting to be crunch time there in Baltimore for Lamar Jackson. And uh, he has been up to it so far. Passing 10 for 15, 89 yards and a touchdown. On the ground, 8 carries, 68 yards and a touchdown. So Jackson, this is a big start for him in his career. We spoke a lot about that earlier. The amount of pressure that, that he's facing. Spoke about the amount of pressure that Josh Allen is facing tomorrow. But Jackson hasn't had that seminal NFL playoff moment or game or performance yet. Allen has, ironically, ironically because Allen's came in a losing effort against the Kansas City Chiefs a couple of years ago. Let's go back to the phone. Subi in Midtown. Hey, Subi, what's going on? Hey, Pat. All this Bill Belichick talk for the past two weeks has really, you know, has really been kind of disturbing because first of all he is 72 years old or however old he is he should learn how to let go and uh i think the new guard of coaches whether it be mcveigh or even dan campbell on the lions they bring a fresh uh, enthusiasm to the league and bill belichick for whatever he did the last 10 years at his press conferences he should have been fined he should have been fined every week for not answering questions and not giving some sort of entertainment and the morning show and all these other Michael K shows, they've been saying, oh, well, Bill Belichick's available. We should have gotten him. Do you want to see that every weekend? Do you want to see him every week giving a boring display of how coaches shouldn't act? So I just want to get rid of Bill Belichick from the league. And I feel like even Pete Carroll, like people were saying, oh, let's get Pete Carroll. I mean, let's just go for the new guard. And whether that be McVeigh and his, you know, uh, tree of coaches, someone who brings entertainment on the offensive side of the football. That's all I got to say. The great equalizer, Subi, is is winning, right? If you win championships, games, divisions, conferences, if you win, you can you have more leeway. You can act like a jerk. And Bill Belichick has acted like a jerk for most of his career, but he's been able to get away with it because he has won at a higher level than anybody who has ever coached in this league. And that's just, that's life. So the question is, would you want to watch that, you know, garbage or I forget how the caller described it, 
at your press conferences for your team every week? No, I don't think so, but that's not why he's being hired. Bill Belichick's not being hired to, you know, entertain the masses. Here's the thing. If you win, you put up with it. And he won for a very long time. If Belichick goes to Atlanta, and is, and I'm, I'm sure he's not going to change. So if he gets hired by the Falcons and is their head coach and does his same song and dance at the podium every week with the media, acting smug and aloof and like he doesn't have any use for them, and they go 10-4 and four and are in position to win the division, then they're going to put up with it. If he's 4-10 and 10 and has Desmond Ritter as his starting quarterback and they're averaging 16 points per game and it's kind of a facsimile of what the Patriots season is this year, they're not going to put up with it. But because the track record is there, look, Bill Belichick has been a brilliant coach and tactician his entire career. You can't dispute that. Going back to, he's probably the greatest defensive coordinator in NFL history. You know, if you're if you're putting together an all-time, like, all-NFL team, you know, quarterback, offensive line, wide receivers, running backs, defense, and a coaching staff, Bill Belichick could probably be the head coach on that team, the Patriots' Bill Belichick, and the defensive coordinator, the Giants' Bill Belichick. I mean, the guy's a brilliant coach because, like I just described earlier, how Tom Brady, late in his career, the second half of his career, learned how to win in a variety of ways. That's largely because of Bill Belichick. He had Bill Belichick in his ear alongside of him for all of that time, almost all of that time. And even though you know both sides are loath to give credit to the other, the fact is they accomplished that together. But Belichick was was the mastermind behind all of that. I don't think Belichick forgot how to coach all of a sudden. And as far as the new blood of coaches, you know, well, first of all, Sean McVay is not available. If he were, you know, 20 teams would be lining up for him. He's a terrific coach, and he reminded people this year how good of a coach he is. And he's also engaging and, you know, young, energetic, all things that people like. But, again, the most important thing that Sean McVay does is he can coach. He wins games. He took a team this year in the Rams that a lot of people thought at the beginning of the season were going to be tanking. He brought them to the playoffs, and he almost won a playoff game on the road last week in Detroit. But he's not available. But I do think, like, I think the the league is starting to, to swing in that direction. And it's not fair to compare Belichick and Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll's done a terrific job as a head coach. Went to a couple Super Bowls, won one, has the Seahawks in contention every year, even after they've moved on from the core of that championship team. The only thing that Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick have in common are their ages, that they're in their 70s. Bill Belichick is a far more accomplished coach than Pete Carroll is or ever was. But we heard Jeremy Fowler say it earlier, the clip we played of him on Darian Mel, that it looks like at this time for Bill Belichick, it might be Atlanta or nothing. So they're not. The the jobs that are open, the teams with job openings, are not lining up to sign the greatest coach of all time. Wouldn't that be something? If he wants to continue coaching and break this record that's within his grasp, he probably needs two seasons, and nobody wants to hire him, that would be unbelievable. It really would be. Back with some more thoughts on the... NFL playoffs and the Knicks and your calls at 1-800-919-3776 here on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show.
You know, that's the funny thing about the NBA schedule. The Knicks, the first half of the season, had probably the most challenging schedule in the NBA. They had played 24 road games before this homestand and only 15 at Madison Square Garden. They had played a bunch of back-to-backs. They only have four of those left this season. So the thought is you get to this point in the schedule, you get through all those road games, it's going to even out at some point, and they're in the middle of that right now. They're in the middle of a stretch right now, and this is game number four of that stretch of 12 out of 14 games at the Garden. So two road games, and of the two road games, one of them will be Tuesday night in Brooklyn. So the Knicks are basically in a month-long stretch where they've got to get on a plane once, and they fly down to Charlotte, play a game, and come back. And then the other part of that equation is the teams during this stretch are not exactly world beaters. You know, in the beginning of the season, there were a lot of games, and the in-season tournament had a lot to do with this, but there were games against the Celtics, and there were games against the Milwaukee Bucks. There was a Western road trip, which is never easy. You know, and now you come home, Martin Luther King Day, you had a game against the Orlando Magic. And I know the Knicks were without Jalen Brunson, but the Magic were missing several rotation players, including their second best player in Franz Wagner. And the Knicks were in position to win that game and just went cold in the fourth quarter and lost. And then the Rockets come to town. Now the Rockets are an improving team in the NBA. And they're improving, though, from a level in which they're one of the NBA's worst for the last three years collectively. But they're improving, and they're not a great team on the road. But they gave the Knicks all they could handle. The Knicks weren't able to pull away from Houston until the fourth quarter. And then the other night, the Washington Wizards, who have been, if it weren't for the Pistons, the Wizards would be one of the worst NBA teams I've ever seen. And they came into the Garden the other night, and the Knicks couldn't shake them all night. It was tied at the end of the first. It was a one-point Knicks lead at halftime. It was a one-point Knicks lead entering the fourth quarter. And really the only reason the Knicks won that game, 113-109, was Jalen Brunson exploded for 20 points in the fourth quarter. Now that's what all-stars do. That's what really good, great players do is when their team needs them to put the team on their back, they're able to do that. And Brunson has done that multiple times this season. And now tonight you get another team that on paper you should beat and the Toronto Raptors. But, of course, tonight you have the added elements of the guys who are returning in R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly. And I'll share some more thoughts on their legacies and how I think they will and should be received in a little bit coming up. But the bottom line is for the Knicks, you've got to win this game because you have a real opportunity. And I've been harping on this all season long. You've got a real opportunity to create some separation between your team, the Knicks, and the rest of the pack that you're currently a part of right now. This is the stretch where you have a chance to do that. And the thing I've been on all season long, this is year number four under Tom Thibodeau, and all indications are that the Knicks will go to the playoffs this season for the third time in four years, which is a tremendous accomplishment. You know, we had Alan Hahn on earlier in the show talking about the Islanders coaching situation. And it's something that Alan and I have spoken about a lot, the Tom Thibodeau situation, because Tibbs is still waiting for a contract extension. Hasn't come his way yet. But if you think in totality of the brilliant job that Tom Thibodeau has done as the head coach of the Knicks, he was hired during the COVID bubble in 2020 when the Knicks were one of seven teams that were not invited to participate in the bubble because they had already been mathematically eliminated. So they hired Tom Thibodeau. The previous seven years, 
the Knicks missed the playoffs. Tibbs comes in, and his first year, Knicks fans are just clamoring for a 500 team. Like, at that point, the play-in tournament, I think, was its first year or its second year. Knicks fans would have signed for participation or at least contention to be a part of the play-in tournament. And instead, they go 41-31, and and they earn the number four seed in the Eastern Conference. And yeah, they were exposed as perhaps having overachieved a little during the regular season when they faced Atlanta in that first-round series and lost in five. And the last three games, all of which Atlanta won, were not overly competitive. But that's okay because considering where the expectations were and where the franchise was at the start of the season, it was such a huge improvement. And then they take a step back in Tibbs' second season because the personnel, they made a lot of personnel changes. They brought in... A lot of guys with the idea of improving the offense, but at the same time, they kind of chipped away at the defensive structure of the team. Guys like Evan Fournier and Kemba Walker, and it just wasn't a fit. So the Knicks took a step back. They missed the playoffs. Tibbs' second year, but last year, not only getting back to the playoffs, but winning a first-round series, coming within two games of going to the Eastern Conference Finals. And then the thing that they've done this year, which they haven't done under Tom Thibodeau until this year, was play from in front. You know, in Tibbs' first year, the Knicks, the first two months of the season were at 500, a couple of games below 500, and then they turned it on at the end of the season. Even in year two, when they missed the playoffs, they dug themselves such a deep hole. They actually, the second half of the season, were above 500, but the hole they dug early in the season was too deep that they couldn't recover and make the playoffs. And last year, the same thing. You know, last year, the turning point was a game in early December. December 3rd, the Knicks faced the Dallas Mavericks in a matinee at the Garden a Saturday afternoon. And Dallas outscored the Knicks 41-15 to in the third quarter. And they completely blew the Knicks out. The next night, the Knicks were hosting the Cavaliers. And at that time, the Donovan Mitchell trade was still fresh in everyone's mind. Mitchell wanted to be in New York. Knicks fans were wondering when their team was entering that game at 10-13 and 13, why they hadn't been more aggressive in bringing Donovan Mitchell, a New Yorker, to New York. And everybody was bracing for Mitchell to come into the Garden and make a statement and put on a show that night. And the Knicks won that game like 93-84. to 84. And that started a nine-game winning streak. And that turned their entire season around. But... Because it happened in December, their season did not really start turning around until the midway point. This is the first time under Tom Thibodeau that the Knicks were above 500 from the beginning of the season. From about game 10, they've been an above 500 team. And now they enter tonight eight games above 500 at 25 and 17. This is their high watermark of the season. And if you look at numbers like net rating, The Knicks are eighth in the NBA in net rating. You know, net rating is, I think, as close as you can find to a catch-all, all all encompassing stat to rate the teams in the NBA. And the Knicks are eighth right now, which means according to that stat, they're the eighth best team in the NBA. So the Knicks are in different waters than this organization has been in, in a very, very long time. And now the opportunity is there as you are in the second half of the season and you have games coming up against a Raptors team that is breaking it down, a Nets team that can't get out of its own way, a Hornets team that's among the worst in the NBA. You've got a real opportunity during this stretch to continue to put distance between your record and the 500 mark. 
and not think about the glut of teams in the fifth, sixth, and seventh place range in the conference, like Indiana and Orlando and Cleveland, but think about maybe Philadelphia at number three and think about putting yourself in position to really make a run at this thing. Put yourself in position where you can win a first-round series, you can get a favorable matchup in round two, and depending on what happens, you can find yourself in the conference finals. You know, because of that seven-year stretch after the Carmelo Anthony team of 2013 that won 54 games, made it to the second round, and then seven years after that, they did not even go to the playoffs. Because of that, the Knicks fan, I think, in their mind, had it ingrained in them somewhat that this wasn't a team that could sustain that kind of success for a long period of time. But don't look now. You've got this head coach who just won his 500th game. 36 men in NBA history have won 500 games. He's now won 502. Of the 36 who have won 500 games, he has the 12th highest winning percentage. So you're talking about the best of the best. Who are the guys ahead of him? You're talking about the Phil Jacksons and the Pat Rileys and the Greg Popoviches. Those are the guys who have won as many games as 500 and won at a higher rate than Tom Thibodeau. Long story short, you have a top coach running this team. You have a team that is 25 and 17, has a starting lineup that fits together like a glove. Do you need improvements on the bench? Yes, you absolutely do. But you also have a general manager, a team president, and Leon Rose, who in three of his four years in charge, including this year, has made an in-season move to bolster the team's playing rotation. So these next couple of weeks are going to be really important for the Knicks as they try to create more separation between themselves and those teams around them in the standings and really make a run at it over the second half of the season. I'm excited to be at the Garden tonight to see the reception for R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly. I'll have some thoughts on that coming up next on 98.7 ESPN New York.